Before we get into today's episode, I've created a short questionnaire that will help me get to know you better. Those that fill out the questionnaire will get entered into a draw to win an Amazon gift card. So there's a link in the description for the episode. Click it, fill out the questionnaire, and I look forward to hearing your feedback. Now for today's episode. This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show and today I'm joined with Victoria Peltier who is essentially a diversity champion, she's a corporate executive and a board director and she's actually a managing director at Accenture. So we're going to dive into a lot of different things today but Victoria, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, I'm happy to be here. So tell me a bit about why you have the nickname the Turnaround Queen, how did that come about? (laughs) So... Uh, A big part of the reason, Michael, is I've been a part of 18 mergers and acquisitions for the companies I worked for directly, let alone those I've supported other clients with um, as a professional services executive with their own transformation. And number one and number two, a big part of my career has been leading large scale operations that in itself require reorganization um, through those acquisitions, looking at synergies and cost takeout. And then also I'm usually one that gets kind of dropped in to manage distressed businesses and try to turn them around. And it's something I'm um, proud to say I've been relatively successful at. So what happens when you get dropped in? Because I picture it like you get dropped in and then you get told to fix it. And what what happens next? How do you kind of start from there? Uh, So I almost always start the same way, and that's spending the first, whether 30, 60, 90 days in a new role or assignment, just assessing, doing a, you know, taking, you know, stock of everything around me. So there's a significant amount of conversation that needs to take place with the team members, potentially with clients, reviewing whether if it's a you know financial distress, looking at financial statements and trying to under, really understand the business. So I spend a majority of my time in back-to-back meetings, having conversations with people. And in many cases, that's even just who has the institutional knowledge, who can put the puzzle pieces together of who's connected to whom, who's got a relationship with this person, who's done what, the kind of stuff that you don't find written down anywhere. And then that just helps me all the way, you know, want to... I listen to other people's opinions. I want to be informed by the past as I then make a plan for future. So that makes me think of things like company culture and, you know, quotes, clicks between colleagues and and clients, maybe customers. If you're able to build rapport with them, there's probably an element of the relationships that are currently there what happens then do you think which ones are helping the company which ones aren't how do you distinguish between what what works and and what doesn't i imagine there's positives and negatives of of both yeah i think i'm a big believer that company culture is an outcome i think many people put you know the fancy statement on the wall in terms of here's our vision and our mission statement and they might have even documented what's called an employee value proposition which includes you know what it should feel like and be like working in an organization not just what you get paid and the reason i say it's an outcome is because it's great to have a vision of what you want it to be but it is about the policies and procedures and the practice of those things. And so that means when we even think about leadership, it's also around are the leaders demonstrating themselves through their own language and their actions and behavior, uh, what is acceptable or what drives towards that. So there you can have a rock star salesperson who's absolutely toxic within the organization and belittles and talks down to people. Well, so at some point someone needs to step in, for example, and have that really tough conversation and hopefully coach that salesperson towards it. And if not, then you actually need to make a decision to move them out. And so that that becomes very difficult uh, because not everyone's comfortable having those difficult conversations. But I do think that's foundational in a turnaround and making um, some kind of a transformation. If with a strong, healthy culture, people feel much more engaged and therefore they want to work and are more productive. And that drives bottom line results. I think some people think that there has to be a trade-off between high performance um, and productivity and profit with this amazing culture and different type of leadership. 
that must come across as a bit strange for them if they're able to do the job really, really well, but where they're being pulled up on could either be seen as a personality trait, a kind of person, if you will, instead of you're amazing at the job, therefore you can stay. There's something else that's a, I guess, a deeper concern in a way, because it's not something that you can learn by doing the job. It's something that's like, okay, well, this is how you are, I guess, within the company. Yeah, and it's it's I've seen it shift over the last number of years, but um, I, I, what I what I've seen in many organizations is they take the top individual contributors in the roles that they're in, whatever the function is. It could be accounting, it could be technology, it could be the salesperson, and then start to promote them into leadership levels. And you're Michael, those aren't the things you always learn on the job. Some of it I do actually believe is innate. Uh, in terms of who you are, the values and ethics, and you know what do you stand for? Yes, you can learn. Yes, you can be coached to be a better leader, but that's where you know th- they need some help. And so I, I find many companies fall down in that regard in helping people learn how to be better leaders, even learn how to. What do you need to stop doing as you progress up the proverbial corporate ladder? I found as well that there's a lot of people that when they lead it feels like a bit of a step back because you're doing more important work. might not necessarily be physically harder or mentally harder, but it's just more beneficial. It moves the needle with the company. For some people anyway, like when I, when I went from, I don't know, you could say more productivity-based work versus managerial work, I've actually found it's less about how much you do or how much you say and more about the actual things that you do do. You have to make sure that everything that you do is the best possible way that you could do it. Not doing 10 of them badly, but doing two or three very, very well. And it actually made me think, because I'm a bit of a worrier myself, Victoria. I'm quite an anxious person. I like to have some kind of handle on everything because it makes me feel like I'm in control. It makes me feel a bit better about what's going on. And I found that I feel just fine not micromanaging, but just checking in. Just in order to make sure everything's okay. After you've done that, quite happy for you to go back to doing whatever it is that you were doing. I feel fine doing that rather than taking the step back because of the anxiousness that sets in. So luckily, people that speak to me and communicate with me, they understand that. They understand that I'm doing it just to check in, not doing it to be a control freak or anything, because I know that the alternative is... I am a bit more hands-on and I am very much like dotting the I's, crossing the T's because I'm not able to do the previous thing that I mentioned of just checking in to make sure everything's okay. And I think that it's about finding the way that works while also having people around you that are okay with it being that way. Sometimes they get wires crossed in companies that I've seen where what works best for the manager might not work best for the person below them, supervisors, that kind of thing. And that's where things tend to break down because they want it one way, but it's actually completely different. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things in what you you said that uh, said there, that's important. Uh, by providing context to our teams around why we ask for the things that we're asking for or why we're having these check-ins, those kinds of things is really important. I think in the absence of that, people make assumptions that we don't trust them. And it it might be that case. I do see that in some organizations. It really is people who are uncomfortable making that shift and letting go and not micromanaging, uh, you know, and the anxiety associated with that. And, you know, for some, they're like legitimately just micromanagers. So I think context is important but also with that balance of i've 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 had um the saying long before the pandemic when we were working from our homes i always said there are no schedules just deliverables so but a couple of things related to that one is be really clear on what the what success looks like in that deliverable to our clients, to one another internally, whatever the work is like, let's be clear on how you're going to be measured. Uh, and if there's coaching and whatnot, and it needs to be done in a particular way, provide it, but otherwise give your team the flexibility and give them that trust. You hired them for a reason to be able to deliver uh, on time. Like, let's be clear on what the, the timing is, you know, of that deliverable. But for, for me, that meant you never needed to ask 
it, permission to leave early to take a child to a soccer game or an aged parent to a doctor's appointment. You you do it, manage it. We know what, what has to be done and by when. It makes me think that there's a different kind of person that would go from, let's say, supervisor role up to management. There needs to be a different skill set, a different kind of person. Do you think there's an element of the journey up through the company could actually be to their detriment if they then were promoted into being a manager? Or do you think that could help sometimes? Do you think it's better to go from company to a different company as a manager, but you've got that previous managerial experience? Do you think it's better to go that way, management to management, or moving up through the company? Because if you're used to, I guess, more productivity or labor-based jobs and responsibilities and things like that, going into management you may still have that kind of frame of mind and that different speed and those different skills and things that may not actually help you in the new role what what do you think about that I think um it's going to sound very consultant speak like the the answer is it depends and and I say that because I do think that there's a lot of people think that to succeed and progress in their career it means the hierarchical move up the ladder and that means moving from you know individual contributor to frontline supervisor to manager to director to whatever the titles are and that's not a fit for everyone i remember a woman that was working with me and she was a senior person in finance and she decided she wanted to start leading people but then and I didn't think that was the most amazing personality fit for, you know, how, what I knew of her as one of her leaders, but she wanted that opportunity. And she quickly, she got in there and she's like, she hated it. She hated the fact that, you know, the people management responsibilities come with, um, you know, she, she would say high school behavior sometimes and having to manage those kinds of things in the administrative piece. And at some point needed to have the conversation and say, Brenda, like you're really amazing at building these financial models and that's what gets you excited. So you can do that on a bigger scale, either within our organization or with another that allow greater complexity for that kind of work. And so, so that's sort of the, it depends number case. Number one is, are you the type of person who's going to enjoy what that, what it looks like to be a leader? And then the other is um, one, if you're being promoted within an organization challenge, sometimes gets created when the people that were your peers are now your direct reports. And so there's some dynamics and how do you solve for that? And so therefore, sometimes it's easier to jump out to another company to do that. But if you've been with, I, you know, there's not a lot of loyalty in business generally now. Um, you're, a lot of people are really loyal to the leaders they work for actually, and less to do with the company. So, um, but, you know, if you're really passionate about the company and it aligns to, again, your your own individual purpose and sense of, you know, values and, you know, mission driven, then great, then stay in it and try and progress. But there are going to be times where on the third um, side of, um, of that, it depends is if you're wanting greater complexity and challenge, sometimes you're, you're just not going to find it in your current organization or not in the time frame that you desire. I'm an, I'm an incredibly impatient individual <laughs> and I've many times made the leap from one company to another because I wasn't prepared to wait two or four years for them to give me that next opportunity. It must be a weird scenario for yourself if someone's perhaps a bit more patient than you. Like I am fairly impatient as well, and we can talk about that if you want. But like that that's kind of the same way where I'm quite comfy in certain scenarios because I know my my why behind it. I know why I'm patient in that particular situation so like I can understand why I'm being patient there and it almost enables the impatience somewhere else like I I've got this weird balance going on where I can be patient here because I'm impatient over here it's like for some elements it's like it's a big seesaw thing um and I, I think that that's a weird way of justifying it in my own head in a way because yeah. I quite happily be impatient with this and it's like well I, that's that's okay, apparently, because I'm really patient over here. That doesn't work because no one sees the full entirety of your life and understands it. If someone only knows you in the impatient scenario, come across as a bit of an ass, to be honest. And I, I think that's that's something where you need to, uh, I guess, you've got to work with how you're you're wired. 
and then understand that not everyone sees the world that way which is difficult with something like patience as well because you could think this is a normal speed for you someone else is thinking she's moving far too quickly there's no way she can and it's a normal it's a normal pace for you how do you have that kind of outlook i guess where you're seeing other people with a different mindset to you so i i it's funny because i in many instances i tell my team do as I say, not as I do. Uh, and um, and that's a I mean that's probably a little bit more as it relates to the workload and and balance that I create. Because I'm not for me, I'm a bit I hate when people ask me about work-life balance. It's all life for me. So I find a way to fit it in. So don't don't ask. But I I make choices. When I go on vacation, I check my work email because I don't want to come home to a thousand emails. That's my choice. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking my team to do that. So same thing a little bit with the the pace and speed uh that uh in which I work. And so I I know that people will look to me and think that that's the example and what they have to do. And so I've learned, um, and I I got it wrong early in my career as a leader, driving people as hard and fast um, as myself. I know not everyone works at that kind of pace. And so I had to be a little bit more reflective and look at, you know, the woman that stared back at me in the mirror and go, okay, Victoria, like slow down a, a little bit and give some you know time and space and capacity for your your team. So I've had to adjust, and in some sometimes it's my own expectations. And I, I will tell my team, although I say use that phrase I just shared with you, no schedules, just deliverables, but manage my expectations. So I might think it can be done here because I work a certain way, but if not, manage my expectations, give me some context over why, because we might actually have a client who wants it on that same time time frame manage that with me and we'll jointly agree it must be a crazy endeavor to do you ever come across someone that's a bit wired like you like someone that's as like you know I, I check my work things when I'm on holiday as well so I get that and I get why and it's something that someone else would say to me yeah but you're on holiday like why can't you just turn your phone off and I go I, I really can't like it makes me feel worse than if I just check it it's not it's not a big thing I don't make a big deal out of checking my work related things when I'm not working it just makes life easier like the idea of coming back to 10 times the workload because what you didn't check your emails once while you were away that doesn't make logical sense in my head never mind like you know trying to have some extra time off doesn't make any sense and somebody else would laugh at the idea of doing anything to do with work when they're on holiday you ever meet people that are like you and probably a bit like me in this kind of way? And how oh, do you manage that? How have you dealt with that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have met many other people uh, like you and I in that regards. And and that's great because, you know, for I mean, it might mean we're, we're both banging off stuff while we're sitting on a beach somewhere. Uh, and, you know, so we know that we're progressing things. And so that that's great. Again, I, I try and approach it like and recognize and that I don't ask for people to do that. Like if their personal choice is to shut down, lock your work phone in the hotel safe, then fantastic. Um, but m- many people are are like me. I can appreciate it and I will never give them a hard time <laughs> because of that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it makes me think, actually, you're dealing with different people, possibly some people might even have like um invisible conditions or health issues and mental health and all those things. And I found that sometimes it's better to just ask and have this open door policy of they can say anything and it just makes the relationship easier. And it's almost in their hands as well. Like if you speak to someone that likes the whole, you know, mobile phone in the hotel safe and they don't touch it for three weeks, that's okay because you're also aware of that. And they're also aware of some of the potential consequences of having three weeks off and coming back and I've got this mountain of work to do. I saw a, I think it was a joke somewhere that said that they don't like being overwhelmed all the time. And then with the next breath, they're going on holidays and starting three projects and learning how to bake. And it's like, well, there's a pattern emerging there. Like you can't not want one thing and then doing the thing that's creating what you don't like. And someone doesn't like being overwhelmed at work, but then if you turn your phone off for three weeks, you're going to have more work than normal when you get back. Because you've had three weeks off. 
So there is an element of education, as you said, that you've got to communicate what's going on, manage expectations, let them understand things like consequences of your actions, those kinds of things. And I think as long as everyone's aware of it, that does make it easier. But sometimes, I mean, can you imagine like having to have the conversation afterwards if you get the thing that they don't like and you've had the conversation beforehand and yeah, but we did, we did discuss this. It, it, it was going to come up and we came up with coping strategies, come up with a schedule that would fit on your way back to help you manage the workload. And then there's still, I don't know, like I kind of feel that there's something else that's missing for someone to be okay with having all the communication done, all the conversations, everything under the sun, for want of a better expression. And then them still like have that bit of a chip on their shoulder about it still not being the way that they want it. And it seems a bit strange at first pass, but then equally that's just about one version of things before the occurrence and another version of things afterwards because they thought they could handle it in a way but in fact they actually struggled more than they thought they would i think a big part of that michael is also around like this this notion of being like very self-aware and reflective uh because to your point they might say they want one thing and then they make these choices that contributes to that dynamic and sometimes i don't think they're aware of that uh at all so you know I'm not a, um, uh, I'm not like a big vision board type of person, although that works for some people, you know, I, I set a goal or objective and I don't need to write it down. Like I know what I'm doing, uh, and I'm going towards it for some people, they want pretty pictures and things like that. Um, but also recognize that to gain, um, that self-awareness and clarity and maybe build a plan to change in those areas. Like it's okay to ask for help as well. I haven't yeah, seen yeah. Uh, a um, mental health professional, but my younger child is bipolar and very much needs that. And I see what that support can be, you know, for a very different person. Uh, and so, so I think people need to need to figure that out. I, I spent a lot of time talking about being resilient and how do you deal with like the stressors that come up? And first step in that for me is about self-awareness, self-reflection, and then trying to model the thoughts, actions, behavior, or the language to improve upon whatever, you know, the as challenges come your way or issue you need to change, giving yourself permission to fail uh, and failing fast and then getting back up and then move forward back to sort of the anchor in terms of what's your goal or objective or what do you need, what obstacle do you need to get behind? But all of that, I also think, requires having a strong, I call it a, just a tribe around you. You know, people are going to help you where you might have blinders on that you're not seeing it. And it's either, you know, this tribe of friends and family, but for others, it could be a, a professional. And I, I think shouldn't people shouldn't be afraid to ask for that kind of support. I think people just need to, I guess, be okay with themselves as well. It's, if you need help, it's not as big of a deal as it might be or it might feel inside your head in a way that like we have this thing of it might be a big deal or what would people think if I did this and would I lose my job if I had this and the answer is probably no as long as there's progress made as a result of the awareness if you understand something completely new about the way that you operate and the way that you work and you simply just let us know what that is and we can do what we can to to help you know we're not we're not, you know, devoid of emotion around things. We're not complete robots. We can listen. We can adapt. We can change things. And you do actually see in Victoria like a very inclusive person. Like you've got this almost a gift of being able to work with different kinds of people from all different walks of life and many different. Like you mentioned like that, you know, one of your children is bipolar, which I would imagine would help with the the empathy side of things to so trying to understand someone. Do you have any tips for people that might be in a similar situation? They have to deal with different kinds of people with different concerns, worries, issues. Maybe they have a condition similar to bipolar that you'd probably help with a bit deeper. But how do you help or work with different kinds of people? Do you have any strategies, any principle that you might stick to that you found works? I've... I found that it's really a, a few things. Um, first of all, understand 
individuals lived experience uh, and their, their differences. And so there, you know, there's a lot of talk about diversity and diversity means so many things. We think gender, race, religion, sexuality, but there's the invisible ones. And so, you know, those that are neurodiverse, those that have other mental health conditions, et cetera. So just understand what makes us different, I think makes us unique. And all of that uniqueness together uh, brings greatness. And so understand those elements of diversity. And sometimes there's intersections of those elements of diversity. And then the lived experience that people bring to the table. And and with that comes deep understanding. It, for for me, you know, I actually embraced diversity. I'm very fortunate that my mother was such a liberal woman who, although we grew up in a very like homogenous town, was very um, open minded herself. Uh, and so I remember when I moved cross country coming out of university. I saw all this diversity. I'm like, this is what I've been waiting for all my life, but that my mom had talked about and you know wanted us to thrive in, but I didn't live in it, and. I myself, can, you know, I'm a child, you know, from the child welfare. I was adopted out of a, you know, situation from a drug addicted teenage mother who abused me, right? So that's some of my lived experience, but it informs who I am and what drives me. Uh, I'm part of the LGBT community. I came out as, you know, bisexual as a teenager and married to a woman and now married to a, to a man to being the only woman at the executive table. So I've kind of taken my own elements of diversity and the lived experience I have to bring that into the workplace, yes, but quite honestly, I do it everywhere I go. And I I got it wrong and not uh, my my views on diversity and trying to create diverse or inclusive cultures, but part of how I approached it as a leader, I didn't always share my own story, which and number one and number two, I think I showed up, I felt a bit of imposter syndrome. So I kind of showed up with this like business face and all business all the time. I'm not going to show you that I'm emotional and that I'm invulnerable because I worry with that, how you're going to think about me or how my leaders are going to think about me. And so I got some, you know, nasty nicknames as the Iron Maiden was actually as the turnaround queen, but early on was like the Iron Maiden. And uh-huh. that's because I needed to show up in a very different way. And so th- showing up as a leader that is emotional, that deeply cares about my team and takes time to understand people's lived experiences, their differences, their goals, wishes, desires, and having that kind of dialogue. That is what I'd say is really important in terms of how to reach out to these diverse individuals we come in contact with. And it means being authentic. It means being vulnerable and showing our true selves and having like real conversations with people and not always about all, again, the all business all the time. I wonder if there is anything that you can speak to for doing this with scaled companies, because I found with smaller companies, it's a bit easier because it's a smaller scale you probably speak to a lot of the people that are actually at the company feels very homely i imagine that being quite straightforward to do you seem to have a knack for this even with large scale companies and you're able to carry over i guess and, and scale it how would you help people do that because i can do it in my own life I can do it with friends family colleagues you name it easy enough to do like in your own little world with the people you interact with companies i found to be having a hard time in some cases sometimes they get it right sometimes they seem to try and struggle to get it right despite the effort you always have a hard time sometimes what do you think the difference is have you got any little tweaks that you've had to make maybe you got it wrong at first and you made a change that you didn't think would have an effect but it did do you have any stories that you could share and ways of adapting at scale when it comes to being more diverse yeah so i i pride myself on um a very human centered leader uh and also delivering strong performance and results and that comes from, I said, I said, I've made some mistakes in the past. I learned thankfully earlier in my executive career to make those shifts. And it was difficult. It wasn't comfortable or natural for me to be as open, to be as vulnerable to like, I would walk into a, in a into a meeting and I'd like, I've got an agenda. We've got 30 minutes. We're going to cover this. And it like, let's bang and go right into it to go 
well, Victoria, like, let's pause. Let's take a few minutes at the beginning of the meeting to engage and chat. How was your weekend and get to know people like, like that. And so those were things that again, weren't natural. And I, I need, now it's totally innate. Like that's just who, who I am and how I operate all the time. And so I'd encourage people in business to take a little bit more of that approach. Like we're all, we're all humans and we all have our lives that show up when we walk into either a zoom call now, much more so than an office, but uh, like rec- recognize that. And I think that's a challenge in some of these large corporate environments is there's um, a big focus on certain performance metrics that drive the compensation and or incentives. And so that drives behavior in itself. And so a lot of the work I've done, particularly over the last decade, has been working, coaching like C-suite executives and their teams on how to have this balance, be really clear. I said earlier, what, what does success look like and how are we going to measure it make sure everyone understands that and how their role drives ultimately to the impact um, for the overall organization. Uh, but also there's other measures of that. So as a leader, yes, I have a, uh, you know, a PL, a profit and loss financial statement that I need to manage. We want to have X number of sales and revenue at a certain profit, but actually I need to be measured on things that are, you know, how, what's my client satisfaction? What does my employee satisfaction look like? Are they engaged? Which, which is most people talk about employee engagement. And so then, you know, that, that becoming a measure to see progress in growth. Uh, well, there, that means coaching and development of the leaders, as we were talking about earlier, you know, in, in, in this discussion and, diversity, equity, and inclusion and creating real metrics to see, are we moving the needle? So diversity in the front door, I'm taking all the different types of those um, elements and intersectionality of, of diverse individuals I talked about, but the really important thing is, are do they feel like it's an inclusive environment? Do they feel they can be themselves when they, they walk through the door? Do they have a sense of belonging? That again, drives productivity. And so it's good for, for business and bottom line results. And so it's, teaching leaders, particularly in large organizations, how to marry that and how to start to shift some of the incentives that they drive because it can drive exceptionally poor behavior and the opposite of what they actually want. And so there's no like silver bullet. That's the other thing. They say, hey, I want to improve our company culture, our employee engagement. Oh, okay. Well, again, there's not going to be one magic bullet that I can tell you, like we're going to need to go through and assess. And so it's again, like this very multifaceted, multi-pronged approach to delivering business results for our shareholders and our clients, but also, um, you know, creating this, this environment that we all want to work in. And so it needs to be um, managed at all levels. A lot of times, I think that's the other thing. I think it, a lot of these like diversity initiatives or employee engagement initiatives sit with the like chief human resources officer who can maybe set policy and provide education, but we all own it as leaders in the organization and not even just leaders. I don't think it has to be at the hierarchy. Recognize our frontline like employee, your voice is your power. And when you see things that don't make sense, you raise it and you can be a part of you know the change and the kind of environment that you want to work in. I wonder if there's an incentive that has worked. It's interesting that you, you brought up incentives and I found that if you can incentivize the right thing, you'll generally get some version of the behaviors that you want, which I guess is why some companies struggle because there's a massive emphasis on scale or profit or turnover or whatever the case is. And you may need some incentives for things like, I don't know, uh, colleague happiness rate or, or whatever the case is, like someone that's actually happy at work. And I wonder, is there anything that you could incentivize or suggest people incentivize that can have the kinds of impacts that that people would like? Because I don't know about you, but I've also tell a fib or two on these questionnaires that they send out as well to make the, the numbers look good. So a questionnaire doesn't always have the effect that you would like either, because I don't know many people that tell the whole truth on questionnaires. So is there anything that you found that that works? Yeah, well, it's interesting you talk about on those survey questionnaires. I find a big part of the reason why people aren't honest on those is because they don't believe they're anonymous. And so they're afraid what's going to happen if they give their feedback. And now in most companies, I will tell you, 
it's not anonymous. Uh, they try and tell their employees there are, but in many cases, it, it's not. There is an ability. There's a unique code that goes, you know, back to that individual. Now, the general manager like or won't have all of that, but ultimately, so that that's what creates some fear uh, for employees to be to be open and transparent. And so, we need to create, you know, an environment where people feel like truly there's going to be no retaliation or create a truly anonymous survey. Um, so that's one. But then the other thing is in is creating metrics that drive um, the kind of leadership or the kind of culture and behavior to create the kind of culture ultimately we're driving towards. So there's a multitude of things we should be incenting people for. So it should be and and at all levels. So think about diversity, for example. Okay, you want it, you can put it for the the people that are in recruitment roles in the organization. Measure them. Are they um, presenting a diverse slate of candidate to the hiring manager? Start it there. To the manager, what percentage of, like, what's the diversity mix within your own team? And then there's another measure. People oftentimes, if you don't have the right kind of environment, you might bring diverse talent in, but they're going to run out the, the back door as fast as you brought them in the front. And so measurement of employee sentiment measure. Um, but again, we just said that, that that's not always true because we know not everyone's honest. So again, look at um, uh, retention rates. Like how quickly are people attriting within the organization and from where? Where's that happening? Those are things that we can measure. You can't manage what you can't measure. So get as much of those measurements as possible. But then in other areas, you know, I see in, in the organizations that I work in, there's so much focus on sales and revenue and profit and the way the individual people get measured it's you know what what's their individual contribution to a sale like what personal what revenue are they generating by being billable to certain clients but does that encourage teamwork you know we're whether it's Accenture or I came from IBM before that are many of these larger organizations they're highly matrixed organizations and you aren't successful unless you're working together as one organization so are you creating measurements as well around engaging cross-functionally with other team members? Uh, are you even looking at things like they, we create incentive models for salespeople around the final outcome? Well, many large-scale transformational deals, and we're talking like the large outsourcing type of um, deals or massive digital transformation, These are it's a multi-year journey. So you want to get people and measure them along the way. We're talking 18, 24, 36 months to see that sale come through. Are you measuring the progression? Are you how fa how far they're moving that forward? The new relationships they're building. There's really different ways to look at that, and that's the the part that I think is really important. And then, so we need to be looking at the performance um, measurement programs differently, different um, facets, not just financial results, but those people based results around diversity, around leadership, on on teaming with one another. What are you giving back to your community? All of those sorts of things. I wonder if you could speak to us about the idea that these people results and benefits and the sense of belonging can actually increase things like profit because there are loads of guests that I've had on that have said that that is the case, that if you can increase things like happiness, sense of belonging, sense of cohesiveness within the company, that that can then drive profit and also retention, as you mentioned, whereby you spend less on hiring as well so you have this crossover effect of the benefits increase and the the downsides decrease as well is that still true today do you think and do you think that that's oh, it, something that people it, can it is can for, it is of? for sure yeah yeah absolutely michael i i sadly i still find some of um certain i'll say generation of leaders but i i actually think it's not necessarily purely generational but leaders who think that there has to be a trade-off between performance business performance and like culture and, and all of these other soft, they'll refer to them, you know, softer metrics. But the reality is creating a diverse, inclusive, inclusive, healthy culture where people want to show up and they feel like they belong and therefore more engaged absolutely drives business results. You'll see everything from an increase in problem solving and innovation within companies by having these kinds of diverse, inclusive organizations. Again, a high sense of employee engagement typically results in higher productivity, which thereby reduce the cost to deliver the goods or services that we're producing to our clients and increase our profitability. 
So we need to stop thinking about a lot of those activities as a tick in the box because it's the right thing to do and rather recognize it's a responsible way to act in business and driving ultimately our shareholder value. And by shareholder is, whether I'm not just talking about, but a public company and, and the, those that literally own our shares. I'm talking about for our, our clients, for the communities we live and work in, for our employees, you name it. It is truly, that's, that's actually a much more mature way now of looking at operating in business. I wonder as well, and this, this is just more of a curiosity thing because I'm aware that this is going to be a two-way street now where companies can do everything that they can do, but if the employees, employers, they don't necessarily trust the company all that much, as you said, the anonymous questionnaires that aren't actually anonymous, that's not going to help. You know, like if you're thinking of, you want people to feel safe, people to feel that they belong, fuel innovation, you know, multi-directional thinking, perhaps, you know, someone doesn't want to think more logically, they want to go something that's predicted to do better than, than that. It, it's hard when <laughs> we hear stories of questionnaires that don't, that don't help and things, it seems a very straightforward thing. And if they can't do that, how is it going to work if things get more complicated and more difficult to make sure that they do it right? It's making me think, actually, that if you can't walk, then you shouldn't run anywhere. You you can't do those things like without an order, you know? So I think if, if you get the right things right, the basic things right, the small things right, that may help. But then there'd be loads of employees and employees that would still be a bit dubious of, oh, we've got this new initiative coming in, and everyone's like, oh, let's see how this goes. You know, they're all having this kind of, negativity bias around the whole thing because of their experience and the way things have been in the past okay we'll probably see more of this in the future it's not going to go completely to plan how can we help employees think differently about the companies when it could be completely legitimate Tori this is this is why we're having a conversation now is it could be the most ethically, morally sound company in the world that want to do more for their staff and some simply will not believe them. I think it goes back to, we talked earlier around providing context to people. And so this is around trust and transparency with our employees. And there, there are, like, don't, misread that, you know, I, I'm suggesting that we share all things with all employees because we're not in a position to do that for many reasons. You think about, you know, an acquisition that needs to stay confidential until such time. But then the moment you're in a position to be able to share, I think it's critically important to provide the context behind the decisions that we've made, even if they're really difficult and they have an impact on their own individual career. They might not like the result or sadly, in some cases, you know, there's layoffs that occur and it's impacted them personally. But please be human enough to have the conversation. Why? Why did we need to come to the decision that we needed to make? Why you? You know, for example, I think in layoffs, I've been through a multitude of um, reduction in force. And, you know, I think of some of the ones we've recently heard about in the media with Meta and Google and others. And some people found out because their access got turned off. There was no conversation. That's how they found out they were terminated. That is the absolute wrong way, in my opinion, to go about, you know, building a strong brand for employer brand and the, an exceptionally poor experience for employees. So if we're going to make some kind of change, transformation or decision that's going to impact them, like, please be open and transparent around how you got to this decision, you know, that and, and be human around it. So, you know, I've gone through these layoffs and um, the, the it's not about me, but I want them to understand this is a very difficult decision for me to make. And we've had to do it because, and, you know, in some cases we're, we, we've brought together multiple organizations. We need to, you know, create some synergies across that and had to make decisions for A, B or C reasons. And here's what I'm going to do to help support you along that whatever that change or that journey is going to look like. Those are some of the things that I'd, I'd recommend. And that's, I, you know, where I see some companies get it so fundamentally wrong and it damages ultimately their brand and their reputation and will be a challenge when it comes back to needing to rehire in future. 
it's almost like years to build, decades to build, and then a moment to destroy in a way. It's like it doesn't take much to ruin the whole thing, but you've got to take so long and be so diligent with everything and everything's got to be right for so long. Do you ever think that it'll ever turn around if these things happen? Like if someone goes into a company and they're trying to start again, new slate, they're trying to do things right this time and they're trying to make the most out of the employee experience, staff experience to then benefit the company. Do you think that's doable or do you think someone will always think, you know what, I'm better off somewhere else because I'm never going to actually trust this company again? No matter what they say or do, it's never going to be quite right for them. Do you think in that case they'd probably be better off somewhere else anyway? As a, you know, like it's not a good fit for the employee, the company's doing everything that they can. It's just not quite right at the moment and they're better off changing companies, going to a different organization. Maybe. Uh, I think, you know, there, I would encourage people to try and understand, not be, so although you and I talked about being impatient, I also think there's a need to come from a deep place of understanding before we're too quick to act. And so I, I'm not patient. I'm, I might not wait too long for an organiz organization to make change, but I certainly want to understand why it's occurred and then kind of suss out whether I think it's going, going to change or not. And I think you're, I, I, um, I refer to when I both, when I talk about personal branding, but just generally in terms of taking charge of your career, you're the CEO of your own brand, a brand like Victoria Peltier. Uh, and that means I have a, one of my, like I sign off my social media posts, hashtag no excuses. And by that, I just mean you have choice. And so if a situation comes, you don't enjoy the role, you don't enjoy your new leader, you're not enjoying some of the elements of the culture in the organization, what can you do to make a change? Ideally, within the organization, I'd say try and stay within an organization first and see, can you make it better? What can you do to drive and affect the kind of change that you want to see and the kind of environment you want to work within? And once you've gone through those steps, if you realize like it's it's a behemoth organization and I'm not going to change, or it's a new leader who came in and is clearly not changing roles for a period of time. Okay. Now's the time for me to look to make a change either somewhere else in the organization or potentially leave. And then one other thing you said, you know, Michael too, around um, when, you know, things happen and can he make a change? I think we can always pivot. I, I learned, you know, from the Iron Maiden nickname a long time ago to now, you know, being known as a, very caring leader and many of my team members wanted to follow me along the journey. That's because I made a pivot at some point and it took time. So I think companies and individuals can recover when there's brand or repu reputational damage, but it's also not happening overnight. It takes some time. Um, and so that that's where we might not be patient, but recognize it like there there's going to have to be some time built up as, you know, reputation rebuilds as well. It must be hard to pivot with this level of understanding you you go through it all you understand that you've got to change you start committing to it you start taking the steps and yet you're still seeing these people where it's not quite fixed yet for want of a better expression like you've not quite got them on on your side as much as you would like that must be quite a frustrating experience to start with whereby you're doing all these things you're trying to make progress and yet it's still not having the effect that you're wanting do you have any you know hindsight 2020 advice for people that are trying to change trying to do good and it's just not quite clicking as fast as as you would like or as other people may be on board before some others and you think oh what what is it for them to get on board to be on my side and rather than have the whole lack of trust relationship still happen where the more that you try they'll think well maybe she's just trying too hard because of this this and this and it actually negates your whole effort the more that you try and you can't help it because you want to want them to understand at least that you are trying to do different you're trying to be different you're trying to do the thing that you want to do and it seems like the more you try the worse it gets how do you reconcile that how do you feel okay with that how do you help others that are listening to this understand that that's okay as well and that maybe they'll have their time and maybe they won't and at that point you probably have to accept that it's not going to be the way that you would like um what do you have for those people 
I'd, in, I'd encourage people to I go back to this, you know, notion of being really self-reflective. And, and I say that, so example for me is I left one organization in large part due to their culture and the leadership. But I also, there were elements of what I was doing in my day job, uh, independent of culture and leadership, I didn't, I didn't necessarily enjoy. And I moved to a new company. Culture was a lot better. Leadership was a lot better. But again, what I was doing, I realized uh, I'm not loving this. And I had to go, okay, the common denominator here is me. So let me spend some time really reflecting on what do I like to do and what is it about these organizations? And I, I was able to go, aha, I get it. And it was the way that the, these couple of organizations were structured, the way they, um, they're, actually their incentives and measurement models created a certain sort of dynamic. And so I was able to say, I, I do not thrive in those kinds of organizations. And therefore, I'm going to either navigate to a different type of role if it exists within the new organization that I'm in, or I have to leave and be really mindful around the due diligence going into that next role. So that was the self-reflection I did. So I tell your listeners to be really reflective in that in the moment around, am I, I'm not happy. Is it the role itself? Is it leadership? Like, is it the, the cult? Like, what what is it? that I'm, I, I'm not enjoying or I need to change. Um, align to what do I want? So get very clear also on, you know, what is that goal? You know, what, what do you want? And then I do think it's important in some instances because I do think people can have blinders on. Like you, you might want to, you know, move to that next level, you know, within the next three months. Well, the organization doesn't always move that quickly. And so, you know, getting support from others who who know the organization, know the way it operates. So gaining that knowledge and coaching or mentorship from others who have a different vantage point or experience, I do think is really important. And then if you've done all that you can to change the situation for yourself, then at that point, going back to my no excuses, you have choice. You can choose to stay in that environment. And sometimes we need to, you make a decision. Hey, I, I'm the need to provide for my family. I can't just quit without a job too. Like I'm going to stay here until I'm able to move to this next step. So you, you, but that's a choice. And actually I think making that choice and knowing it's finite now I'm here until my next job makes it a lot easier to get through each day. Uh, and, but if you make a decision to stay in that environment, some point you need to stop pitching, right? Like if you, you, you've got a choice to, to stay for a period of time, stay forever, but then you acknowledge what you're staying forever in or forever. Uh, there's no, no forever in business, um, you know, or you're, you're going to make a change. And then if you're going to make that shift, I would encourage again, there do a lot of homework and due diligence, be really clear on the type of company that you want to work for, the type of role that you want to do and the activities that come with it and the success metrics and the individuals that you're working for to the extent that you you can. But there's, look at Fishbowl and Glassdoor, like there's lots of information out there that is anonymous. So people are pretty honest out there uh, around what that looks like. Sounds like a very, very complicated, confusing, smoke and mirrors kind of situation where it can be so hard to get these things right. Like the idea of doing everything that you can and still coming out with the best solution or the best situation at the end of it seems like a tall order as well in that it can cause a lot of fear for people if this is the case, you know, like you do your due diligence, you do all your homework, you try to find the best company that you think is more aligned with the way that you would like to do things, the way you would like to work, all those things, you get it by some stroke of genius and you're in there and it's still not quite right because sometimes you only know things when you're in the door sometimes. And then you think, oh, I made it wrong. I, I got it wrong. I made the wrong decision. I didn't realize that this was the case. And I thought that it was this way when it wasn't, it was in fact this way. And maybe it just wasn't put to me in the most accurate way. And I took it for base value or for whatever it is. And it's just not quite right. Once I'm under the hood, what happens then? It can cause people to not make decisions and not take actions because 
of this. They think this might happen. They think they'll get it wrong. They think the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. You know, that all kind of self-help mm-hmm. quote that kind of winds me up in a way. Um, but it's so hard to have this conversation with someone that they've been burned before so to speak where they've made this wrong choice and it's not come out right they're not going to want to make it again they're just going to think well maybe i'm better off where i am in some cases you might be but other cases you might not be is there an element of you won't really know unless you try but even if you make the wrong choice you're better off making the wrong choice so that you know something you can learn from instead of never knowing never finding out because if it is better then you've also missed that chance as well yeah i think um there's a lot of people live in a place of fear actually one of my favorite quotes is from georgia dare and it says everything you've ever wanted lives on the other side of fear and so i think fear holds many people back however um there's like a sense of being informed and then in making those decisions. So I would encourage people that, yes, the grass is not always greener. Absolutely. So don't be jaded by, you know, an extra bump in pay uh, or, you know, some other benefits that they're giving you. Like, do do your homework and to the extent that you can. And I, again, I think in the digital world we live in now, it's a lot easier than it used to be to do research around the company and the leadership within it to see if that's going to be a right fit. And then through the interview process around like the role itself and how do they respond to that? And again, there's lots of sites and tools online to get some uncensored um, feedback as well and talking, talking to people. And so I would encourage people to be really informed about making that leap. But if at the end of the day, it's just a fear about grass greener on the other side, you know, we, I would encourage people to, lean in a little bit to the things that make them uncomfortable. I actually think that growth will not come if we're not challenging ourselves. And in, in so liken it a little bit to like dating. We don't necessarily marry the first person we go on a date with. Some, some might, uh, you know, but you go through this exercise of testing things out. And in some cases now it's easy. You do that all on a, on an app. Now you're Sometimes that's highly curated <laughs> with pretty looking pictures that have probably been photoshopped. But again, do, you know, you'll do your homework and you're going to have conversation and engage. And um, so I just I, I'd encourage people to not be so fearful, but to re- make as informed decisions as they possibly can. And just before we finish off the conversation, Victoria, it's been great. How can people feel like they're ready to take the action? Because there'll be people listening thinking, oh, well, if I stay in this research mode, they never actually get to find out by taking the action. I just stay in the research mode. Victoria said I need to make sure I dot all my I's and cross all my T's and I do as much homework as I can, do as I'm told by Victoria on the podcast. And all of a sudden, think, ah, no, actually, there is a point when you actually got to pull the trigger on this thing. How do you know when you've done enough research and digging and understanding to then say, right, okay, I'm, I'm ready now. Well, you're right. I think there can be analysis paralysis at some point and you do need to just pull the trigger, you know, you know, jump off the diving board. And I think you, you, you know, that based upon a number of of factors. Again, our, I, I actually talk about doing things that bring me great personal and professional joy. And so I've got an 80, 20 rule. And so if, if I'm not like 80% of the, the, the days I get up, I want to look forward to my day and what am I going to be doing? And if you're not at that point, then you know it's time to make a change. Have you taken the steps to make the change and it's not changing? Okay, so now we know. And so now we can go out and you get to a point where you're going to feel good about something. And you know what? Like get, give yourself permission to fail. I hope you don't like, but give yourself permission. I made a leap, like I said, from one company to another, <laughs> excuse me. And I thought I had done all my homework and then I got in and as much homework as I did, it wasn't perfect for me. Well, that's okay. So I'll end up working at that place for a couple of years and then move on to the next one or even shorter. I'm not, not, not t- saying you need to you know stick it out that long, but I do think you need to move forward. So, you know, for your, your listeners, I, I feel like you're, you will know like what brings you joy. If it's not where you are now, then make a decision to get out, make a decision to take action be really clear, however, on what your goal is for yourself personally and what kind of environment and place you want to work in, and then go and find it. And I also like to 
echo that and also say putting a timeline on it as you said earlier where you have a time when you need to do this by you you set some kind of diary slash schedule for yourself so that you know by this time I will have taken these steps I will have done these spoke to those people put these things in place so that by this date at this time I'll be ready to pull the trigger on this new new way of life when I'm spreading my wings away from one company and joining another so uh, Victoria it's been great I really enjoyed having you on for those that would like to learn more about you where can they go so be social media websites maybe share some about your company as well and we'll finish thank you awesome well thanks for having me on this has been fantastic so your listeners can find me i do have a website it's victoria-peltier.com but you can also find me on most social channels so on linkedin on facebook and on instagram what you're going to find there is a mix of all the writing and blogs that I do, but I'm also a professional speaker. Uh, I'd love to speak on some of the things we've talked about around leadership and culture, diversity, inclusion, personal branding, being resilient, overcoming adversity. So you'll see all of that and see some of my sample speaking uh, engagements online. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Victoria, thanks for joining me and I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you. Thank you.